thank you for uh, being at North Place. We're, we're grateful that you've come and that you've joined us today. We've been in a series of messages called uh, Beauty for Ashes. We've been looking at um, the work of Christ and, and the, the, the prophecies that Isaiah made about Jesus and then that Jesus proclaimed about himself when he initiated his ministry and he, and he quoted from Isaiah and, and this, this promise of, of this exchange that took place illustrated in this concept of beauty for ashes, a crown of beauty for ashes, the ashes on our head being wiped off and, and instead exchanged for, uh, for uh, the ashes exchanged for a crown of beauty. And we've been talking about and illustrating from the life and ministry of Jesus ways in which Jesus actually demonstrated that exchange that takes place. Because we can hear things about the Lord, but what we really want to know is how does it work in my everyday life? Does it matter? And what we've been exploring in Scripture is how it mattered in people's life in Jesus' day and how it matters to us. We've learned several things together. If you haven't been here, if you haven't been a part of our service, you can go to our website um, at any time and download the messages from the past. You can go to different platforms and download them. I would encourage you uh, to do that. We've learned a few things. We've learned that responding to suffering, either my own or others, it is, is something that I have to take and understand that I can't respond to suffering based on my own mind or my own way uh, of thinking that just because someone is suffering doesn't mean that it's because of their mistake or their sin or failure. It could be, but but we can't allow religion or culture or society to put people in a box or to put ourselves in a box that we are beyond healing, that we are beyond hope, that we are beyond the touch of the Lord. No one is beyond the touch of the Lord. The second thing that we have learned is that, is that we have to come to a place in our life where we embrace humility. Everything about the world teaches us to demonstrate our own strength, to do everything that we can to make our own way in the world. But the way of Christ, the way of the kingdom, is that we embrace our brokenness, that we embrace our humility, and that it's when we, it's as we embrace the humility of our own brokenness that the Lord, in fact, does replace our ashes, that he does replace our brokenness, our pain, our desperation, with the beauty of his glory. We're made beautiful by the work of Christ in our life. And as we continually surrender to the work of Christ, as we continually surrender our ego, as we continually surrender our pride, as we continually surrender the embarrassment of our shame and our guilt, as we continually lay those things at the feet of Jesus, he continually causes his beauty to rest on our life. And then last week, uh, we learned that normalizing dysfunction is the rejection of deliverance. That in this exchange of beauty for ashes, that we can't fall into the trap of the world in which we normalize dysfunction. I don't know how many times this week I've thought about the naked guy in the, in the graveyard, right? And I would see somebody doing something crazy or I would be on social media and read something crazy, how the world is upside down and how it seems like there is just an acceptance, a normalization of dysfunction and brokenness. God never intended it to be that way. And by normalizing dysfunction and brokenness, what we're actually doing is we're rejecting, we're rejecting deliverance and the deliverer who has come to make us whole. Well, this week we're going to continue on in this conversation 
We're going to continue along looking at the work of Christ. And as we do, I just want to remind you of some things that we've talked about. We talked about the, the fact that as we look at this exchange of beauty for ashes, there's a comparison of the work of the enemy and the work of Christ. The work of the enemy in our lives looks like regressive dignity, which is the intentional and active choice to draw a person back into their brokenness and to reduce them to those things which are an expression of their distortion. Everything about the work of the devil, everything about the work of the enemy is to cause you and I to regress back into those things which held us in bondage. To regress back into those mindsets and those views of ourselves and others that remind us, that take us back to that place of our brokenness. The torment of the enemy is that he continues to remind you of exactly how broken and terrible you are. That he continues to define you by your sin that he continues to define you by those things that hurt you. On the other hand is the work of Christ and what God has called us to and what the, the prophet Isaiah said about Jesus and what he said about himself. The work of Christ is, is that of attributive dignity. It is the intentional and active choice to push past the distortion and to see individuals as image bearers. And to not just see them as image bearers, but to call them into the fullness and the complete work of what it means to be in Christ. Not only does Jesus do that for you, not only does he do it for me, not only does he do that for those who are his followers, but he has called you and I to join him in that process of exhibiting and demonstrating Attributive dignity. In fact, let me put it this way. When you respond to other people, you will either respond to them through the mindset, the worldview, the practices of the enemy. You will treat them with regressive dignity or you will treat them with attributive dignity. North Place Church, I believe God has called us as a community into a place of growth and maturity where we begin to take responsibility for our own thoughts, our own feelings, and our emotions, where we push past our own culture, our own worldview, and even religious practices that we have taught, we have been taught that do not align with Scripture, that we push past those things and we begin to practice attributive dignity. We're going to continue in looking at that this morning by exploring Mark chapter 5. Actually, the story that we read last week uh, in Luke, if you continue to read in that chapter, which I hope you did during your daily 20, it'll be the next story that's in that, in that episode. But I'm going uh, to read from Mark this morning because I love the way that Mark describes this story. Mark chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 21 through 29. It says this, when Jesus had gone again, crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was there by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please Come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. 
And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, this is her state of mind, if I just touch his clothes, those of you good old King James people, if I just touch the hem of his garment, if you read it in the original language, she literally meant if I can just grab that tassel that's hanging down off of his robe, if I can just get a little touch, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. When you read this story, there's two things going on. There's two healing incidents in this particular story, and I don't I don't want to focus on the leader of the synagogue this morning and his daughter. I, I want to focus on the woman with the issue of blood. This woman had lost everything for, for 12 years. She had had menstrual bleeding, and for 12 years she couldn't get that to stop. And for 12 years her body had been ravaged by this issue that she could get no relief from. And as a result of it, she had lost everything. Now, in 2021, we, don't, we read these things. We don't often understand that for this to have been going on in this woman's life, and actually for women in general, every time that it came that time of the month, they, were, they became ceremonially unclean, and there was a whole process that they would have to go through to be cleansed. There was rituals that they would have to go through. And, and then within the, within the law, there were certain processes that if for some reason they had a problem in this area that they could, that they could do to supposedly get relief over this particular issue. And there were all kinds of, uh, there were all kinds of processes and, 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 and things they could do to receive healing and the Bible says that for 12 years she had done everything that she was told to do. She had sought help from many doctors. And so uh, you may say, man, pastor, you're being really graphic and, and that's uncomfortable. Why are you talking about it? Well, life is, you know what, sometimes we just, we got to talk plain. She was broken. As a result of what was going on in her life, she would have been ceremonially unclean, which meant that she was completely an outcast. If you know the law, if you've studied the law or looked at it at all, she would have literally been kicked out of the city. She would have been kicked out of the people's lives in her life. She would have been sent aside and... She wouldn't have had community. She wouldn't have had relationships. She wouldn't have been able to be in her home with her family. She would have lost everything. She would have been utterly and completely isolated. As we talked about in the first one and the first message, as a result of what she, uh, of what she was going on in her body, certainly everyone would have thought, well, she's sinful. Uh, it's because of her. It's because of her mistake. It would have been piled on. The Bible says that she had spent all of her money. She had lost everything trying to get relief. 
She was isolated. She was alone. You have to understand that she was religiously, culturally, financially, and physically bankrupt, broken, isolated, alone. She had nothing left. She was in ashes. Remember, ashes means I'm completely undone. I have nothing left. You can't take anything else from me because there is nothing This is where this woman finds herself. Every part of her life, every person she turned to for help, the religious experts, the doctors, no one could bring her relief. Everywhere she turned, not only did she not get relief, but when you read the passage, and that's why I read this passage, I I love the way he describes it because Mark provides a different detail that others wouldn't have provided because they themselves were physicians and probably wouldn't have wanted to be embarrassed. The physicians had caused her even more harm. The people that she was looking to for help hurt her worse. Did you hear me? The people she was going to for help hurt her worse. In this room, there there are people all across this room who when I say those words, it resonates so deep in your soul because that's been your experience. The people that you've gone to for help have hurt you worse. That's exactly where she was. And yet, she heard about Jesus. Yet she heard about Jesus. So the Bible says she heard about Jesus, she heard he was coming, and she pushed through the crowd. Now understand, the crowd was so great, they were thronging him, they were pushing up against him. It was mayhem that day. And here is a woman who's physically empty because she's been bleeding for 12 years nonstop, has gotten medical treatments that were experimental, that hurt her body even more. How how frail and broken she must have been physically. What must have it had taken for her to push through that crowd to get to the Messiah that day? Not only that, everyone there was a potential threat to her because someone may have recognized her. They may have recognized that that's the unclean woman. That's the perpetually unclean woman. And all it would have taken is one person in the crowd saying, hey, I know who you are. You're unclean. You don't belong here. And she could have easily been beaten more. She could have easily been stoned. She could have easily been thrown aside. She was risking not only her last bit of energy, not only only pushing through this crowd to get to Jesus, she was also risking Further being ostracized, being rejected. Religious people pointing a finger at her. The reality is she risked even more agony and more pain just to get to Jesus. Her faith, it was simple. Some people may even call it superstitious or childish. 
but her faith was in the Messiah. It didn't follow all the rules. It didn't follow the religious practices. I guarantee you she hadn't, re- she hadn't read all the books on seven ways to get healed. And I'm pretty sure she hadn't sent money to the, to the prophet on TV. I'm pretty confident she hadn't done all the stuff she was supposed to do. In fact, what's really true is she'd done all the stuff and it didn't work. And now she was like, you know what? Who cares about the stuff? I just need to get to Jesus. And so she pushed through all of this. She broke all the rules, all of the all of the rituals, all of the steps that she was supposed to take from the religious and medical experts because it didn't work. And she acted on her faith and she went to Jesus. I mean, you read it. We read it together. When she got to him, the Bible says that she touched him and immediately she was healed. When we talk about beauty for ashes, we're talking about seeing and being seen. That's what this series is about. This woman, she had the ability to see Jesus in a way that the crowd that was pushing against him didn't see. We're talking about attributive dignity. We're talking about the intentional and active choice, the pursuit of what is good and holy and righteous in someone. That woman that day, while people were thronging Jesus, that woman that day was the one who saw him for who he really was and pushed into him. So fascinating when you when you read the passage, immediately she was healed and Jesus stopped. The important person's daughter who was dying was gonna have to wait. The crowd was gonna have to wait because somebody touched me. Who touched me? Jesus said, and the disciples are like, Are you losing your mind? You have a whole crowd of people gathering around you, and Jesus said, Somebody touched me. Somebody saw me differently. Somebody has activated something in me that nobody in this crowd has activated. What was the difference? What was the difference between that woman and everyone else? This outcast woman saw Jesus. She ascribed identity to him as the son of God, as the Messiah, as the healer. When the crowd was around him, when the crowd was following him, there was something about her stubborn, relentless, reckless, childlike pursuit of Jesus that activated his identity as the son of God, that activated his deity and brought about the release of her healing that no one else in the crowd quite got that day. Jesus said, who touched me? She was trying to hide. I love it. Read it. Read this passage during your daily 20. She got her healing and she tried to hide in the crowd and Jesus forced her to come out front. The Bible says that she knew what had happened to her and he wouldn't stop and she knew that it was her. She knew that it was her, and so she came forward, and the Bible says that she was afraid. Why was she afraid? She had been healed. Why was she afraid? When he called her forward, she was already healed, but she was still afraid. She was afraid because 
She was still the woman with the issue of blood. Everyone knew who she was. Her identity was still rooted in what had broken her, not in the one who had healed her. And yet when Jesus, when Jesus knew what had happened, he said, I want to see her. And I want her to be seen. Is it possible? I want to challenge your, I want to challenge your theology for a moment. Because I know a lot of you, I know you're Christians, I know you're followers of Jesus, I know you've experienced healing, I know that you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you've received hope, but I I just want to challenge you for a moment. Is it possible that that we stop short of the complete work of Christ in our life because even though we have experienced healing, we still allow those things which tormented us to define us. Are you following me this morning? Is it possible that even though you've reached out and you grabbed the hem of his garment and he's called you son and he's called you daughter, is it possible that we're still living in the shadows, still allowing ourselves to be defined, still allowing our worship and our experience with God and our identity in our lives to be defined by those things that broke us instead of the one that healed us? Is it possible that even though we are healed, we don't have peace? Is it possible that even though you're a Christian and you follow Jesus and you took communion, that you go home and you still live in your shadows, you still live in your torment? Attributive dignity is not just about receiving your healing, it's about being seen. I know that you see Jesus but are you willing to be seen as Jesus sees you? No, she's dirty. She's unclean. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She does, she, who is this woman? Who does she think she is? Jesus said, let me tell you exactly who she is. Everyone in this crowd is thronging me, and she's the one who touched me. You would call her dirty and unclean and broken. You would reject her, but I have received her and let me honor her before you because she really touched me. She really saw me. And so because she really saw me, I want you to know that I see her and I want you to see her as I see you. It's not just about your healing. It's about your worth. It's about your value being restored to you. It's about your dignity. For some of you in this room, you need to hear the word of the Lord to you this morning. He is calling you out of the shadows. He's calling you to no longer be defined by that which broke you. He's calling you to no longer be defined by those things which are regressive, those things which return you to that place of brokenness. He's calling you into the beauty of your identity in Christ. You are not defined by what broke you. You are not defined by what broke you. You are not defined by your blindness. You are not defined by your bleeding. You are not defined by your divorce. You are not defined by your failure. You are not defined by your sin. You are not defined by what broke you. 
You are defined by a Messiah, by a king, by a living God who looked at you and loved you and said you are worthy. You are worthy because I shed my blood for you and I made you worthy. I made you whole. I redeemed you. I freed you. I delivered you. Live like it. Act like it. Lift your head. We're not called to just receive new life. We're called to live it. We're not called to just receive healing and then fade into the shadows and act like we're still bleeding and broken. We're called to live in it. Remember, you can always recognize the work of the enemy because he is regressive. And people who are working in concert with the enemy are regressive. They will remind you and they will pull you back into those broken places. Remember, regressive dignity is the intentional and active choice to draw an individual back into their brokenness to remind you and reduce you to those things which are an expression of the enemy's distortion in your life, the enemy of your soul. Get this, you've got to hear this this morning. The enemy of your soul is not threatened by your healing. He is not threatened by your happiness or the happy face that you put on. He is threatened by your embrace of the identity that you have as a child of God. He is threatened when you come out of the shadows. He is threatened when you don't let people speak to you or about you like you did before. He is threatened when you don't allow people to reduce you to those things which have broken you in the past. He's threatened when you stand up and you claim, I know who I am in Christ. While I may not be able to physically stop the words of those who will speak death and destruction and damnation over me, I can I can come to a place in my life where I no longer allow it into my soul. I can come to a place in my life where I will no longer hear the words that I am worthless, that I am disgusting, that I am a failure. I can come to a place in my walk with Christ where I will no longer receive those things said over me or about me. I can come to a place where I say to those people, you can... Keep running your mouth. You can keep showing your true colors because I know exactly who you are. Or at least I know exactly who you're agreeing with. I can come to a place in my life where I no longer allow the influence of those who are speaking regressive damnation over my life. I believe the Lord is inviting you and I to come out of the shadows this morning. I want you to stand with me all across this place. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for my friends. I love them. Lord, more than I can express or declare, I love them. And I ask you this week, Lord, let them walk. Let us walk together out of the shadows in the full light of Jesus. Let us declare our truth and live in it. Because we are not defined by that which broke us. We are not defined by that which causes us pain. We are not defined by that which we have lost, but Jesus, we are defined by you, our Messiah, our King, and you are more than enough, and therefore, and therefore, we are more than enough. Lord, I bless my friends 
all that they do and touch and put their hand to this week. May they walk in grace and power. May they walk in wisdom. May they walk in creativity. May they declare the favor and glory of Jesus. I ask it in your name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week.